Welcome to Oak and Adam, unfiltered conversations about nature, philosophy, spirituality, and life between a druid and an atheist. I'm Brian, a druid. And I'm Eric, an atheist. Welcome to Oak and Adam. And welcome to another episode of Oak and Adam. My name is Eric. And today, on today's recording, we'll be discussing the spring season and the emotions that are behind that. And we'll go in depth about that. And I'm going to do a reading here that Brian, uh, basically you shared this last year, Brian. Yep. And, and I felt that this is a very suiting uh, quote from you that... We'll kick it off as far as our conversation uh, in this episode. And you titled it, It's Okay to Not Be Okay. With the warmer weather temps and wonderful sunshine hinting to the numerous nearness of spring, it is easy to be caught off guard with feelings of depression. The next couple of months can be difficult. The warm sunny days followed by cold snow and back to sunny can create an emotional roller coaster. Many people don't notice these feelings, but when you are struggling with something existing, it can be like fuel on the fire. With the stress that the pandemic has placed on many, don't be surprised if you find yourself feeling extra sad or just off. Even when the sun is shining, keep a close eye on how you are feeling over the next couple of months as we go through the freeze-thaw cycle. When you are feeling a little depressed or anxious, take heart in knowing those feelings are completely normal and healthy. Albeit not pleasant, they will pass. It's okay to not be okay. Very well said, Brian. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, that's so. That's kind of a great example of what I've talked about in the past of, you know, trying to be, you know, closer in alignment with nature. Um, spring is a very dynamic and, um, kind of just an interesting season. The, um, when you look at like even how some of our holidays are structured around, like, especially around Yule, also known as Christmas to most people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a reason we put up lights and have all these decorations during quite literally the darkest part of the year. Um, and so coming into spring, you've got like these ups and downs, you've got the freeze and thaw, and it can just be, you know, when you spend a lot of time outdoors, you get acclimated to cold weather, but in the spring, something that's just, to be completely candid, a fucking pain in the ass (laughs) is the fact that you could be like, hey, I can handle 20 degrees just fine. And then we happen to have one day of 60, and then 50 feels like 20 degrees, and everything goes out the window after one day. Right. And so the cold days, every cold day hurts as if it's your first. And But then at the same time, every warm day feels like you should be wearing shorts and sandals. Oh, <laughs> very much so. Because even today, on the on the day of this recording... So we, we came from um, 
you know, a stormy weekend, right, where it warmed up to close to 70 degrees. If not, we were past 70 degrees, and we had mm-hmm. some pr- very violent storms that rolled through here in central Iowa, in south, in south central Iowa. And then it zapped all that uh, heat and moisture, and then we had snow the following day. I mean, it was it was very, like, on either side of the spectrum here as far as weather-wise. And, and I even noticed that on today's, uh, before I... Before our recording, I was actually out on a hike just before sunset um, to just photograph whatever was out there. And it was chilly. And it was, you know, the body was kind of ready for that nicer spring or w- spring weather. And all of a sudden, now it's back down to 20 degrees on the day of this recording. And that really does take a toll. Uh, more than, you know, us just feeling cold, like it's kind of a... It's a little bit of a letdown because we kind of wanted that nicer weather. And now it's just, again, like <laughs> I have to put on my winter coat again. I have to put on my stocking cap. I have to wear gloves. Can I at least surrender some sort of like winter clothing for the season? <laughs> uh, and, and But in all seriousness, no, that does take a toll on you emotionally. Like it's kind of a blah time of the year because there, I think... Maybe if I'm wrong, but it's just, it's the letdown of, of the nicer weather that that just didn't come yet. And mm-hmm. there, it kind of reduces your chance of something to look forward to. Is, is maybe, you know, does that make any sense? Like, is that, that's kind of a part of the feeling that I get is that it kind of reduces your chance of, well, when is it finally going to come? When is this yeah. nicer weather going to come? And then that has its downstream effects. Well... And there's also the dynamic, if you think back to, like, imagine what it was like historically before we had, like, go back, you know, hundreds of years ago, when, like, understanding the cycles of nature was entirely steeped in mythos, because, you know, we didn't have the understanding of how things work. We didn't know that it's all based off of the tilting of the axis in relation to the sun and right. all of that. The, like, just imagine this time of year where your, you know, your provisions that you've saved up for winter are at their all-time low. Um, nothing's growing yet. You've gotten the hint that it's going to get warm, but if you try to plant anything right now, even on the warm days, it's going to immediately die. Right. And so... You know, you've got your perennials and stuff, and you're just looking at the trees, and literally the only thing you'd had back then was hope that things would green up again, because if they didn't, you would die. Exactly. And I think... Much more at stake. Oh, much, much more at stake. And that's definitely still, like, steeped deep inside, especially on, like, our lizard brain side. Mm-hmm where you still have some of that and that's that weighs heavily on your our emotional state and when you don't understand that that's at play um it can it can throw you for a loop where if you don't if you aren't kind of self-aware and self-reflective and have like i've been through a lot of therapy i'm not a therapist neither one of us are psychiatrists we are not licensed therapists or psychologists no no we yeah we're both private sector corporate (laughs) nerds um (laughs) we just love nature yes and but 
what I've learned just from my personal experiences in between studying paganism, stoicism, Buddhism, and then all of the therapy that um, the Des Moines VA provided me, um, I've learned quite a bit in just how to you know get my own shit together. And one of those, one of the key things was understanding that emotions are never good and never bad, even the happy feeling ones. Emotions mm-hmm. just are. Judgment should only be applied to what actions manifest from those emotions. Right. Because um, you can sit and just feel emotions. They'll come on you like a wave. Rise and that's okay. And, yeah, That's absolutely. okay. There, there's a reason why they exist, right? Absolutely. The, um, I mean, fundamentally, they're hormonal chemicals and it's all just brain chemistry. Um, different things are triggering them. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's a very complicated machine. And so understanding that, you know, sometimes when, you know, things can get out of whack, um, I've been on psychiatric meds. Um, they were actually key for the long-term success of me being able to even apply the therapy that I was learning. Um, and thankfully, you know, over time, I was able to actually get off of, of most of those. Um, I'm still on meds for my um, ADHD. But like the depression meds and all that type of stuff, I was able to get past that. Good. Um, the but not everyone can, and that's okay. Yeah, that's. Yeah, yeah, everyone's everyone's on their own path with what they need to do from a medical standpoint, especially whenever it's you know with, with their with any depression or anxiety that they have, where they where they need to have some sort of medication prescription in place, right? A- absolutely. I mean, you see natural variants even like. Not all oak trees green up at the same time. That's a good way of putting it. The um, you know most of them do in alignment, but you know they're while oak trees are complex, they <laughs> I think I think we take the cake on that one. Yes. Um, <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Although I still haven't figured out how to make acorns. <laughs> also very true. <laughs> also very true. <laughs> Life goes on, of course. Um. So, um, Eric, like coming from like small town Iowa, from like what was like emotions and like growing up in that space? How was that for you? Well, uh, it's not a uh, unique story by any means, but I, I. you know, growing up in a small town, and it's it's a little bit of a um, slower adaptability to what we know today about emotions. It was, it was very much geared towards you don't really show emotions, especially for for boys. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of that to- you know similar story of toxic masculinity. Yeah, uh, where especially like when I was doing sports. You don't show emotions. You're you're tough. You know, crying or what have you is a little bit frowned upon culturally. Uh, it was it was okay in certain settings, but it was you know certainly better than it was for than prior generations. But there was still that that lingering culture cultural sentiment, right, where you kind of kept back as far as those emotions. Um, 
acting up during class or just being frustrated with whatever situation that, that you may be entailed is just, it was suppressed. Mm-hmm. And that leads to more, obviously more issues than that we now know about. But uh, then it was, you know, we just, what we weren't exposed to that. We weren't, we weren't given much permission culturally, even though you were, it, you know, there wasn't like legally anything yes. there. It's just, well, you know, it was, it's it, was, like, it was very cultural. It, it very um, much so. Yeah, the I I lucked out um, from like my my parents were actually very progressive on that front, um, and so I have and to, so were mine. I, I do want to preface that my parents did an excellent job in that case. Um, it was just more of a it was beyond their span. Mm, uh, I see what you're saying because it was in, in a small town. There's and, and I'm not saying this is only exclusive to the small towns. But Definitely it's a dynamic, of, though. It's a different dynamic where you have, you kind of have a little bit of influence on other families. So, like for example, like you're under the watchful eye of the community. It's a much more communal mindset versus the, whereas like bigger communities seems like it has a little bit more of an I me mind mentality, right? Where in a small town you have a little bit of vested interest in, you know, what you're you know, your child's friends are also doing, right? And so you're kind of influencing from that space. So that I, not the dog or, you know, uh, put down as far as a small town, but I, I believe it was definitely a product of its time. And it was, and smaller communities are slower to adapt changes fundamentally like that from a cultural standpoint. It's just been shown that they are usually, you know, a few years behind as far as, you know, larger communities that adopt new new things, and then it ekes its way into smaller communities. They're just, they're a little bit more, and it's not a political thing, it's just they're a little bit more conservative when it comes to new things or understanding of things from that standpoint and adapting those changes. But I think some of it probably also has to do with, you know, just basic of, basic economics. I mean, if you look at just about anything and everything in society, if you look at how, you know, I think I remember learning about this in like Living History Farms about how like medical advancements that were happening on the East Coast, you know, took a long time mm-hmm. to make it to rural Iowa. Right. Or any Iowa, because all of Iowa was rural then. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of it also, I think, comes down to, because, you know, you've like, I remember when I was at physical therapy at the VA and something that, I had mentioned was like, I deal with chronic pain. I've been, I've had back pain and knee pain ever since I was 19. Um, and so, um, one thing I've noticed is when I get a lot of cardio exercise, the, um, specifically through mountain biking, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> looking so forward to that. Um, just need things to dry out and yep. warm up. Well, not necessarily. I don't have, you can do it year round. I just don't have the gear for it. Um, that but, and, that and being out on the dirt trail and this kind of cold is that that's for a special breed of cat. Oh, I mean, I would do it. I just can't afford the gear for it right now. <laughs> I mean, that's literally it. Um, like, don't be surprised if I'm doing it next year. Okay. The uh, but regardless, we'll like when when trails are wet, which is a whole whole another podcast. You know, you have to stay off of them, otherwise you right. can damage trails. Oh, you'll just tear it up. Yeah, but. With the active cardio, um, I noticed that like my back pain and my knee pain and all that stuff was like almost gone. Um, and then when I wasn't doing cardio, it would come back. 
Suffice to say, I've been kind of sore. Um, but I mentioned that to my physical therapist, and he commented about, it was like, oh, yeah, the um, that's because when you're exercising, they figured out, essentially, to use an IT joke, um, when you flood your nerves with oxygen, which is what happens when you're exercising, because all like the breathing and the blood pumping and all that stuff, it's essentially like taking your nerves and turning them off and on again. Sure. Because when you're in chronic pain, what happens is that becomes the default state of those nerves. Even if nothing's wrong, they will still be firing pain signals because, well, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. We always fire pain signals. <laughs> um, <laughs> they just forget to... So sometimes you have to turn them off and on again, um, <laughs> which you're able to do <laughs> through cardio exercise, apparently. And to bring back to the original point, um, the they had first started studying and first discovered this 10 years ago but apparently it takes about a decade from the point that a medical a medical discovery is made to the point that it actually gets in the room between a primary care and a patient interesting that's very interesting yeah because that that's that even parallels as far as um when i was doing uh you know studies of like small communities versus larger communities. And it always seemed like it was about a decade that smaller communities were kind of behind on. Not not in like all aspects, but it just seemed like from a mindset. Mm-hmm. And, you know, growing up in my small town, it seemed like I was growing up in the 80s a little bit. Uh, but I grew, <laughs> up in, I grew up in the 90s, yeah. right? But it seemed like a lot of the mindset... And it, and it was a good thing in, in a lot of respects, but it, but there was the drawback was that you know again it kind of felt like you were a few years behind, if not a full decade behind. And then you, I would see comparatively to larger school districts, and they would be ahead of us of certain of certain things. Um, you you can even notice it from like decor to um, of how they approach things, technology adaptations, etc. It seemed like they were year, a few years ahead of us. That's that's interesting because I I grew up in Urbandale, and mm-hmm. so I you know suburb you know for those of you who are listening to this not from Iowa it's a suburb of Des Moines the capital city, and so very much not rural. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's like I had I had I hadn't uh, thought about like that whole that decade like the. Uh, Man, so like, did that apply to fashion as well? No, not necessarily. <laughs> I don't think so. But I mean, there, I'm sure there were some slower adaptations to fashion. I mean, I look back and kind of cringe at some of the family photos of mine, but uh, but we all do. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and when I used to have a full head of hair too. But um, it, it just seemed like, it, it, again, it's just more of a feeling that it just seemed like it was behind a little bit. But even then from like an emotion, like to kind of an earlier point was from an emotional standpoint for like that kind of that male masculinity as far as expressing emotions. It was definitely culturally there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only time it was acceptable for me to be upset, upset or cry was like, I, I teared up whenever it was like my last wrestling match ever like my high school career yeah uh, kind of deal it's like wow it's over like it just kind of hit me and i think that was the, like the only time it was acceptable really um 
What oh. was it? Um, the Grand Canyon and what was the other? <laughs> <laughs> the Ron Swanson. Yes. <laughs> Crying only acceptable at the Grand Canyon and funerals. <laughs> or the other way around, funerals in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> kind of, I mean, that's kind of like some, some small town. I mean, and that's kind of, I mean, it's not exclusive to the small town, kind of like with that toxic masculinity. Yeah. Where we're suppressing emotions and, and what have you. So... Again, it's it's okay to not feel okay, and I, I and I'm I'm glad that society has become much more open and allowing and, and and enabling people to be more open about how they're feeling and not and not gaslighting them about having those feelings because there was a bit of that too uh, growing up, and I I don't know for you, Brian, but again, community wise, there there was a little bit of gaslighting because again, that suppression. Like, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you feeling that? And it was kind of like you're, they're downplaying the emotion, right? The, I had kind of an interesting dynamic, and I was just thinking about, like, so, like, my father was the youngest of four siblings, and, his, um, and um, he had three older sisters. Oh. Um, yeah. And so, and then... So I've got that dynamic. So, because I never really got the toxic masculinity dynamic from my dad at all. Like, I'd never be like, oh, you know, I'd never get the, you know, don't cry or any of that. Like, I, the um, I'll, I'll say the same for my father. My yeah. father was very was very good at, about that and being open and progressive. But continue. Yeah, but the um, the other dynamic for me is I was also the really quiet, sensitive nerd that would always get picked on. Mm. The um, how bad was bullying? Oh, in middle was, school, it was awful. Yeah, it was pretty awful where I grew up too. Yeah. In fact, I was just being the small being the small kid. Oh man, you were. Mm-hmm. I was subjugated to quite a bit of bullying, and then the worst thing is that you actually become a little bit of a bully yourself, as a defense mechanism. Um, I never got to that point. Okay. Like, no, the I was literally bottom of the barrel in middle school. I, <laughs> like it, it got it actually was to a point of where I went to, like Urbandale, and then for like high school for like a quarter, and then transferred to Christian schools. Right. Um, and so I went to Iowa Christian Academy for two years, and then Des Moines Christian for the second two. Um, those were actually those environments were quite a bit better. Were they? Yeah, I mean it was just smaller. Um. My graduating class was thirty-five. When at Urbandale, it would have been three hundred and fifty. Right. There's people. It's, it's interesting <laughs> you say that because we kind of then we we had a, like a similar like kind of high school experience then because my graduating class, gosh, I can't remember off the top of my head. It couldn't have been any more than ninety people, and I knew everyone that walked across the stage at graduation. Um, or I knew of them, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you went to Urbandale or anyone who's listening that went to a large high school, there's probably people that walked across the stage that you never even met. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what my fa- my father grew up in. A, uh, grew up in Des Moines as well. Mm. Uh, he went to uh, Lincoln, and he he would always joke. It's like, yeah, there was people that walked across the stage. I was like, who are you? <laughs> <I'm> not... <laughs> so. Just, just a different dynamic. Like, but we we do have that parallel where it's. But you actually graduated with a smaller class than yeah. I did. Ironically, yeah. growing up in Des Moines area. Yeah, I mean that was the dynamic of the private Christian school, which I mean the uh, it was definitely a benefit. Like again, having 
having ADHD going to the smaller class size was like huge because I would always like have the issue in like math class. Like I'd be the type that would be failing the class and then go get a B on the final. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, but that's, it wasn't, a, that wasn't the full story. Cause usually what would happen is with my ADD is I'd be paying attention and like, really actively trying to pay attention and then focusing. And then I learned things incredibly fast and, but they'd still, you know, continue to be teaching on a point. So I'd get bored, start daydreaming, thinking about something else. Well, while I'm daydreaming, they've moved on to something that I don't know and then moved on again. Hmm. And then I realized, Oh, I should get back to paying attention. I'm like, wait, what the hell are we talking about? Cause I for, I missed the previous thing that I needed to know to understand this thing. And so I just get overwhelmed and be kind of shy and embarrassed to me and like, uh, okay. <laughs> and then I'd go home, look at my homework and be able to do a few problems. And like, mm, no, I'm just going to play Xbox. Um, <laughs> and then, and so I'd be like failing my classes until at the very end when it'd be like, all right, the teacher would be, uh, have a, this is kind of a, considering I went to Christian schools, a come to Jesus meeting, mm-hmm. um, where you'd basically, it would be a crash one-on-one course with the teacher being like, all right, here's, here's the stuff that you didn't know. And he'd like teach it to me in like 15 minutes. Um, and then I'd go do all the, you know, the assignments that I had done, get caught up on that and then do fine ish on the final. Um, and that's, you know, that never would have been able to, I couldn't have pulled that off at Urbandale. Um, just the, with the class sizes and the amount of students, um, that's wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the benefit of uh, of smaller settings for <clears throat> for classes, and um, especially um, you know, I I actually enjoyed that quite a bit. Whereas, like, I didn't have the large university experience following high school. Uh, I went to a smaller uh, private school myself, and I knew mostly. I, I either knew of or I knew most of the people at my college that I was at, which was which is actually pretty good. It's kind of a double edged sword. So it's like, you know, they know you, but if you do something, you know, idiotic, <laughs> then, then they know you. <laughs> um, but that that was that was a benefit of that smaller class size and um, and having more of that concentrated one on one study uh, with professors or having access to professors. Uh, because if I if I talk to people who went to large universities, they would have access to professors, but not near to the capacity that you would have at a private college or smaller yeah. smaller college. But because the the other aspect, like with the smaller class sizes, it's like could I have gotten that same level of care at Urbandale? Yes, but I would have had to take ownership over it, and I would have had to seek it out. Oh, it would have been a sink or swim. You wouldn't have had any buoys out there to oh, oh to no, help like, you out, right? I would have, yeah. I would have, like, could I have done the meet with the teacher, get caught up, do do all that stuff? I could have, I could have done that mm-hmm. at Urbandale. But one of the other dynamics was the teachers were like, it's also easier for them to know how every individual student is doing, and so sometimes they would be reaching out to me and being like. Brian, mm-hmm. you know, and so, which would then, cause that was a piece is like, if they called me on it, I'd own it and being like, all right, yeah, I, I need some help. But if they hadn't called me on it, it wouldn't have been pretty. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, the pivot a little bit to kind of come back uh, with kind of the early springtime. I call them the blahs a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if that's a necessarily a diagnosable term, but it's. <laughs> um, but I, I, we all feel the blahs from time to time, and I, I, you know, they exist. I think in almost every season, like there's summer. There's a summertime blues, right? And that's that's been talked about a little bit. Um, certainly the winter, you know, we have that kind of depression, you know, fall has its own like little deal, but definitely right now, especially, you know, just even just recent, the blahs where you just kind of feel disconnected a little bit, or you have that tendency to feel disconnected with things. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I've experienced that even just more so recently, I don't have any diagnosed, uh, depression. Uh, I probably, I probably should get that checked out that's another thing <laughs> i like seriously like everyone should be able to see a therapist that mm -hmm. would be like and the and the good thing is most pri most employers have some sort of therapy on site and my employer my mainstay employer does um and so i've actually have engaged them which is a good thing um but that that's a later session for that's the session that will take place later for me. Um, it's just a good thing. It's just a good oh, sounding. It's just a good absolutely. sounding board. That's yeah. That's one of the things I love about the having access to the VA. Mm -hmm. um, I think like we did some real high level rough, you know, estimated math, and um, from the point that my PTSD completely blew up to the point of you know having my shit together and being in remission. I think we estimated if it had if I'd gone through that in the private sector without insurance, it would have cost about a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, and so even with insurance, it still would have been expensive. Yeah. Um, so it's that's that's a whole nother dynamic, but the um, but that's I think that's also part of the reason like that's one of the perks about being a veteran, specifically a combat veteran and even more so a marine is there's almost like a so a societal expectation that I'm a little bit crazy. <laughs> and so I can be like you know mental health stigma is is a huge thing unless you're a veteran. Um and so I don't deal with that stigma. And so because of that that it's almost like it's gonna sound so weird, but it's essentially a privilege. Um, and so and it's kind of weird to think of it that way, but because I've chosen to think of it that way, that's kind of empowered me and, and, and caused me to really want to be more open about my own like mental health backgrounds and being able mm -hmm. to talk about mental health, to try to help normalize it and to try to tone down the stigma that's associated with it for those who aren't veterans. Right. Yes. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head because it's like for, for us common folk who have not, who do not have a military background, you're absolutely right. There's that barrier, especially for, uh, when it's not even military is even too vague because like the main, like, like I actually, you know, I got shot at, like, I got more to be mortared to be specific. Okay, um, you know, mortars and rockets and all that type of stuff. And so, because I saw actual combat, that's why I 
don't have to deal with the stigma. There's a lot of veterans out there that still deal with mental health issues Mm -hmm. from like their training and stuff, but they still deal with the stigma because they didn't see combat. Right. They saw that they, the, the stigma you, I remember you explained this to me. It's from boot camp. Oh yeah. Like I don't have nightmares about Iraq. I've got nightmares about boot camp. It's amazing because like, you know, everyone has their own trauma and it's like no one, there's people who suffer greater trauma, Right. Like with you, you went through that boot camp, you went and got shot at uh, in combat. But even then, there's some, it's different scales, right? Everyone's, mm-hmm. everyone's pain has, is relative to their own. Everyone's exactly. trauma is, is exactly. to their own. And it, it's amazing. Like, so like for listeners that had like a bad work situation where they had a bad manager or boss in their life, that could be traumatizing. Mm-hmm. And that can really affect them, especially even the, you know this time of the year where you're kind of feeling the blahs as you as you mentioned in your post uh, last year about this about this time of the year or what it can do, that can add fuel to the fire exactly. And, and so a bad manager, you have a bad relationship, or you had a relationship that ended badly on a bad note where if you were like you know betrayed or if it fell apart or what have you, it's kind of that you know this time of the year can just really throw throw At, fuel like, on it. Absolutely. And it's, and that's why, like, when I was at the VA, they're the ones who taught me the phrase. So the Des Moines VA, one of the, we've got one of the best VAs in the country. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they taught me when I went through dialectic behavioral therapy was the phrase, it's okay to not be okay, which was the title of that. Um, Which essentially means that the, just like how today was, you know, got below 20 degrees and it felt cold as fuck um, compared to like the 70 degree day that we Brian's had. Brian's making this episode very explicit. I set the entire <laughs> podcast that way. I don't even check it anymore. Um, <laughs> so the my, my veteran side is definitely coming out. Um, the, you know, again, all emotions are normal and acceptable. Um, and the important thing is, is that they also change. Right. The like emotions are, will come at you like waves. They'll grow and grow and grow and grow. And depending on the intensity of it, sometimes we act out or engage in destructive behaviors to manage or to mitigate emotions that we're feeling when if we just sat with them, even if we had to just white knuckle and like hold on tight, they would eventually pass. Mm-hmm. Just like this season, eventually it will get warmer. The average date of last frost is May 15th. That's a good note. That's a good point because we're recording this in early March. March 10th. Yeah, March 10th. So it's we're still a ways away from the, the last date of, of frost potential. Oh, yeah. I remember um, like maybe... 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I got put in the ditch by a snowstorm in May because I was complacent <laughs> and I was just like, it's May. And yes. There I go. That was a humbling moment in my PT cruiser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, I certainly remember uh, April snowstorms, of course. Um, so, you know, with, with the, the change and, and, you know, kind of the, the kind of pivot into nature a little bit, um, I, I one advice uh, advice that I took from a photographer when I was especially when I was learning photography, and 
I don't remember his name. It was a, more or less a YouTube lesson, but he was talking about when you're in a rut with photography. Mm. And, and this is kind of some parallels of different principles that are that are out there, right? Oh, ruts and creativity are parallels for a lot of absolutely, in life. absolutely. But he talked about it's like if you're if you're passionate about like a certain area of photography. So let's just say for me, it's wildlife photography. And if you're just in an absolute rough, the best thing for you to do from a creativity standpoint and for your own well-being is to do a different genre, hmm. shoot something different. You know, try try a different avenue. So, and I've and I've taken that lesson from that photographer and done other things. So, like expanding to like whether it's a different landscape, do some people like photography or 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 also known as street photography, just to change up the genre. To keep basically kind of keep yourself sharp, keep yourself fresh, and change up some things. And you may not be the best at it, but it you comes back and you come back to your sharper skill. You're familiar with a little bit of a better understanding of your art and you can apply that in your, in your current existence and you get out, it helps you get out of your rut. Oh, I like that. And so like, you know, for you, Brian, like, I mean, I, you're describing this, this is making me think of like some, the times when like in my, cause I'm a uh, software engineer is my day job. And mm-hmm. so, which it, there is definitely a very creative aspect. Oh, sure. To that, and so there's times where I've like, you mean you mean it's not all ones and zeros? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> not in the level of existence that I work in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, continue. Uh, no, just like the you know think about that. Like there's there's been times where I've just like been like in a rut just like banging my head against the keyboard trying to figure out like why is this thing not mm-hmm. working? And one of the things we do is sometimes it's just like you get, you just got to walk away and do something else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even with my own work, just step back away from something and just go do something else for a little bit, do, focus mm-hmm. on a little task. And it's amazing that when you come back to the one that you were stuck on, the task that you're stuck on, it may give you some new perspective and it's, it's okay to be in a rut. I, mm-hmm. and I, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Right. Oh yeah. Well, but, this kind of reminds me of something else that I learned in dialect behavioral therapy. So that's, it's a whole type of therapy that involves like um, distress tolerance, emotional regulation, mm-hmm. interpersonal effectiveness, mindfulness and so forth. And one of the distress tolerance skills actually involves doing things like, you know, exercising, washing your face with cold water, doing something that like is like a mild shock to your body that just resets your physical brain chemistry. Oh yes. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of have a little bit of a routine like that too, where it's like, I need to waken up not, and this is kind of a similar principle, but uh, I do the whole, um, they call it the James Bond shower. And I, I don't know for audiences, but if you read the books, there's a, where he talks about his routine in the morning. It's where you start your shower hot, but then like that last minute, you crank it down the cold and you get that cold rush. And then for like the next like 10, 15 seconds, you turn it back to hot. So that way you're back to kind of normal, but you're awake. Huh. You are good to go. And that that that's a good way to recharge, like or to not recharge, but a good way to start. 
And it just kind of helps get rid of the, some of those blahs a little bit. Ooh, I might try it's, that It's kind of helped. It's, it's kind of <laughs> helped. Um, now, obviously, you know, make sure you're healthy to kind of take on that kind of quick uh, shock. That, that's of true. Course. That's true. But if, if you are healthy, it's, it's, it's pretty viable. Like if you need to get going in the morning... Honestly, it's better than a cup of coffee, and I'm I'm a guy who drinks a lot of coffee during the day. Um, I cut it off at noon. If I drink anything after noon, then my sleep schedule yeah. is completely screwed. And if my sleep schedule gets screwed, then everything goes. Yeah, yeah. I keep telling myself that, but then it's like, oh, that coffee smells pretty good at one o'clock, two o'clock. <laughs> I need to do better at <laughs> stopping at noon. <laughs> And I wonder why I can't sleep at night. This is weird. I, I don't know how to Yeah, it. literally anything with caffeine <laughs> minus like chocolate because it's just so low and I don't generally right. eat chocolate. Like afternoon, even if my cup is That's done, the, uh, I'll, I'll dump it out being like, no, <laughs> right. it's not going to end well. Um, I will switch to like herbal teas if sometimes I want that hot, warm. Sure. But... Yeah. Yes, I... You know, all healthy things, right? Like, you know, you know, keep it, keep yourself kind of disciplined with with things like that. that oh yeah, that will disturb like a good night's. You know, and this is not earth shattering conversation as far as like get a good night's sleep if you can. You know, go to sleep at adequate hours. Arise when you um, after you've had a good amount of rest, right? Um, but also, we need to talk about like with this time of the year is that stress is always a lingering factor with oh, things and. Not to mention, we've got the whole daylight saving time coming up on Sunday. Oh, I forget about that. Yep. Darn it. (laughs) Darn it. It's interesting because I was just reminded of that. Um, I have a lead to go photograph um, some eastern screech owls on private land, and I got permission, thankfully. Oh, really? Yes. And and my connection uh, said, hey, you know, he's giving me me, like the time of day that that they're seeing them. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Uh, the timing of the day is when they're out sunning, mm. uh, and he w- he was saying it's like, well, we you know we typically see them around eleven o'clock to to noon, um, around that time frame, and they're sunning for most of that time. But he goes, well, with daylight savings time, I'm like, oh, that's a different dynamic. I got to think about when I will be going over there to catch them sunning. It's like I got to think of the time of the day. Yeah, that, <laughs> that would put it what noon to one then. Well, if we it's, spring forward, so right. lose an hour of sleep. But the sun will be out a little bit earlier. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so that's a different dynamic. Yeah. So I so even... Actually, so I, I, how does that work? Well, the sun, will, the sun will technically rise arbitrarily earlier now. It'll go... So right now, it's around 6 o'clock, Well, 6:30. no, it, it'll set later. It'll, oh, is that how it is? That's, okay, yeah, because we're moving, we're moving the clock... Forward. So think about yeah, like, you're right. that we're you're shifting right. everything. Yeah. I stand corrected. I mean, honestly, it's like it's every year I'm like, wait, what's so that's happening? A, that's another factor. That's a, yeah. so that's another factor. I mean, I, I can't believe I goofed up on the, the sunrise during daylight savings time, but it's like um but you're absolutely right. That yeah. I mean that change of time it, really screws up yeah. things. It screws up your rhythm. Um, it, it, it's it's only an hour, but it's essentially, hey, let's give the entire country, except for Arizona, jet lag. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and there's even like a, a legitimate debate around whether or not we keep that um, 
keep that in practice or not. Oh, honestly, I vote to get rid of it mostly because do you know how complicated it is to program things that involve time? <laughs> right. <laughs> I can I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Between time zones and daylight savings, it's... Mm. Here I am. I'm just looking at my watch. Oh, I'll just set it set it forward to an hour. Brian's over here like, no, I got to code yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> Most programming actually involves number of milliseconds since 1970. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, luckily, there's usually code that we leverage, so it's not... Sure. We're not... Crapping so it's a little bit more automated, but... Yeah, but never as much as you think it should be. <laughs> like, how have we not solved this yet? <laughs> but but that's so like that's even another factor that affects the blahs, right? That that affects our mood is this change in time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it'll be interesting, like of how we adapt and how nature itself, nature itself is not on human time. No, it's on its own time. So it's it's interesting. I'm really curious as far as how nature will adapt to like maybe a little bit of an absence of human activity during that quote unquote hour that normally there may have been. Right. So there's always that adjustment that like, well, the humans are gone. Actually, I think we're going to get the opposite. So I think we'll get, we'll be, we'll be active an hour earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, I'm thinking fall back. Yeah, yeah so exactly. For so spring the forward. one thing, the one thing that'll be nice right away is that we will have an extra hour of light in the evening. That's that will be nice. That will be. Um, and so the yeah, that means my so, playtime is extended. Exactly, <laughs> which means that uh, you can no longer use. Hey, I'll link up with the after sunset, and I'm like, dude, that's almost my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> I do tend to burn the candle at both ends, um, especially during the summer when sunset's closer than nine o'clock oh, here yeah. in Iowa. That's that's one of the things that I do actually enjoy about like winter, is I can like not feel entirely guilty by being in bed before <laughs> nine. Sometimes uh, you know it's cold out, so there's not a lot going on. It's already dark. I'm like, I mean, we're we're like two thirds of the way there already, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just you know. What was wild to me? Um, so uh, two years ago, I was up in Voyagers National Park, which is northern Minnesota near International Falls area, and I was used to Iowa sunset times. So I, I have two sunset stories. One was when I was down in Columbia, uh, near the equator, and then oh. one was up in northern Minnesota. Mm. And I'm, in my perspective, was on. Iowa sunset times <laughs> for both, right? So like, so when I go to Voyagers, sunset wasn't till like 10 o'clock, which is wild. Like normally we always associate 10 o'clock to be dark. Well, there it's like, it's now finally in the blue hour. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, and then when I went to Columbia near the equator, and this is in the summertime. So sunset was like close to nine o'clock. Well, I was traveling uh, and I arrived in Cartagena, Colombia, and it was like I was gearing up for a four-hour bus ride um, to travel basically across the country, and it got dark at six o'clock. I thought the sun was like setting at you know nine o'clock, like Iowa, but I always forget about you know the uh, the latitude lines of how that changes. 
Sunset where, times. Where, because it, how close is that to the equator? Oh, very close. I, I couldn't give you the exact mileage or kilometers, but it, it, it's it's really close. So like sunset, I don't quote me on this. I believe it's roughly around six o'clock on the equator. Oh, in the winter? Anytime. It's it's any time oh, of the year. I guess yeah. Any time of the year. Whereas oh. like sunset there, Brian, it was like closer to six thirty. Weird. So it was south of the equator. And sunrise? Sunrise was about the same time, about six thirty every day. Wow. It's that it's would be very trippy. consistent. It's very consistent. <laughs> That's gotta be crazy. I can't imagine. So oh, it, you have the consistency of regardless of the season of That's true. Hmm. Anyway, so that that's my uh, change of uh, my forgetfulness of uh, sunset times um, on occasion. It's like, oh yeah, it's different up here. <laughs> oh wait, it's different down there. Yeah. <laughs> We're in Iowa. It's like it's just never the same. <laughs> it's never the same. It's descending. It's ascending. Like as far as its time. Yes. It's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we inch closer and closer, like yeah. right now, it's just a little bit past uh, six o'clock here when we're recording this. But you know, I look forward to but at dude, least dude, eight o'clock. Dude, it's eight forty-five, man. I know. <laughs> well, it's dark out, yes, but I'm talking about sunset. Oh, uh, oh, sunset. <laughs> I was just like, dude, like, did you lose a couple hours there? <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, like, it. it when it comes to like nature, I don't know for you, but I I get a good recharge when I'm out and about in nature, regard regardless of the season. And that, to me, that's the beauty of photography itself is that I embrace season changes. But a caveat is this time of the year where it's kind of really just blah. Uh, but there is some silver lining where we get migrating birds and and what have you and other sites to see that's that's a really good thing that's just that's something to look forward to but um the the one thing that i do like it it's only blah if like you like if you do a deep dive and start you know kind of pay attention to some of the smaller and some of the more subtle things mm -hmm. you discover that it's less blah and more like the calm before the storm, you know, where sap's getting ready to start Literally flowing. or figuratively? Because um, we had some storms. Well, I mean, hashtag climate change. <laughs> um, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll leave the, it at that. Um, but, like, you know, you've started to see some birds coming back, and then what's neat is when you pay close attention, it gives you the opportunity to, like, really see... Like the moment things start greening up, right? Um, and rather than because if you don't pay attention, next thing you know, you'd be like, "Oh wow, things are green. When did that happen?" Um, but it's if you spent like it's it all kind of also comes it comes down to just staying connected with nature, staying connected with yourself, mm -hmm. and then connecting yourself with nature. When you do those things, and you actually can live your life in balance with it. So like for me, I don't actually really experience those blahs as much. I mean, the main thing I deal with is the stupid temperature acclimation because I'm a primate in a cold environment. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't have fur. So I have to deal with that, you know, that reality. Um, but 
when you look at kind of more of the larger scale and the more holistic um, rhythms where you've got summer is the time of action and being exciting, getting out and doing stuff. Fall is the time where, you know, you start to slow down, you start to reflect, you start to be in like, all right, what's been going on? Um, and then you have the artificial spike of excitement because of December and consumerism around Christmas, which just screws <laughs> with everything. And that's it. That's an entirely, that's an entirely everything. But winter should be a time of where, you know, you're, things are calm. You're not doing a whole bunch of stuff. You're spending time just self-reflecting, resting, you know, reading. You don't have to be super active. And then when spring comes in, it's the time where you start stretching those legs and you get ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, if you, you know, follow that rhythm, which I usually don't, <laughs> I, I try. Do as he says, not as he does. <laughs> right. <laughs> do as I want to do, not as I actually do. <laughs> Noted. The, but it's like, it's small stuff like that. And that's, you know, that actually is very like, Ingrained. That's where the diff- the 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 eightfold year and like the pagan holidays those revolve around those pieces. Mm-hmm. So like we have the uh, Imolk, which was February first, which is technically the first spring where we start first thinking about that the fact that spring is coming. What where we do intention setting? Like what what do we like? Where are we going? It's kind of like a New Year's resolution type thing, sure. but a little less frivolous. Um, not that they're frivolous. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Um, and then, you know, we'll have, you know, coming up the spring equinox. Right. Where, you know, the axis is tilt and then the clock's ticking and that's where we're like, all right, here we go. And then we really start hitting the ground running May 1st. Um, and that, which is the Beltane celebration um, where, you know, that's, also known as May Day, the Maypole, all that, that sure. huge, you know, that exciting, fun time. And then Easter and all that fun stuff. Yeah. You know, the eggs and the rabbits and the other symbols of fertility. And <laughs> <laughs> We won't go into dogging certain uh, certain religious that has adopted that, but... Um, it was a purpose. It was a purpose. I mean, it was meant to bring in people, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, that. that was the original intent. But right. Yeah, that's, again, that's a whole other That's a whole different episode. topic. Yep. But, yeah, as far as, like, as a person who is, I want to preface, it's like, because I, the point that you made as far as, like, connection to nature and being aware, you know, that that's a, that's a very spiritual kind of experience in that way where you are connected and you kind of let go of your ego. Oh, you have uh, to. Yeah, and you, ha- yeah, absolutely, you have to let it go. And where I'm going with it is that, you know, even as a quote-unquote non-believer, an atheist and or agnostic in that sense, is that there's still a very much a spiritual side to it. And I, and it, I say that, you know, with some people are saying, like, that doesn't make sense. There, there is. It's just a recognition of universal principles that we are connected to nature, we are a part of nature— that doesn't mean that it has to come with some sort of spiritual being of a higher power. Oh, absolutely. The so in, in the druidic order that I'm a part of, that we have like the druid's prayer. Mm-hmm. And one of the opening part is where it's like they literally have oh and then in brackets they have a list of suggested options where sometimes it's god, goddess, spirit, mm-hmm. 
you know, insert your thing of choice. And I'm like, I am less deity centric and more just general, like nature's a, there's just like, like agnostic pagan type thing sure. where I don't necessarily have like a set deity, so to say. And so there's like, and when you get into that space, it like, there isn't a clear cut line between spiritualness and philosophicalness, which is right. totally not a word, but I just made it one. <laughs> I follow. <laughs> and so it's, there's like, it's more of a gray area where sometimes like, is this philosophy or is this spirituality or does well, it those, matter? Those two, those two could be very much, you know, married together though. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, just like how people are, who are spiritual, whether they're religious, right? They use that as some sort they use it as a moral compass for them. And they use it as a philosophical compass. Similar principles, I mean, that's a similar principle for, for quote-unquote non-believers or those who are agnostic in that sense where, you know, they marry in those two principles in their life. They, they tie in that philosophy and how they apply. So, but, yeah, I, I don't know where I was going from that, but, that, but those, but that, I mean, it's, it's a very much a married-in yeah. concept, but. Oh, yeah, the, um, but, yeah, no, this is, this has been a, kind of a great deep dive, a little bit of, a little bit of mental health, a little bit of spirituality, mm-hmm. and, um, but, um, yeah, the, um, to kind of wrap things up because we're almost at an hour here the we've got another interview coming up yes we do who do, who do we have coming up um again i'm gonna make it as a cliffhanger because oh. i never know what the order is that these things are necessarily necessarily going to get published in so okay um <laughs> future people you'll know the answer to that question just by looking at future episodes <laughs> um but um, yeah, no, definitely excited about this uh, upcoming one. Um, yeah, it'll it'll be fun. We actually have a, we have a couple uh, potential interviews lined up. So wonderful. Well, I, I guess from a uh, from an early sneak peek, uh, the next the next one I believe that will be in the in the docket for the two, um, I believe works very hand in hand with conservation and very much involved in the natural space. What much more? I mean, that's. That is their job, and so we're we're very excited oh, to, yeah. to, to hear hear their insights. I'm I'm going to use very vague pronouns. Their um, you, you know, use gender gender neutral pronouns. General general is the word you're yeah, looking for. Gender neutral. Thank you. They them there. They them there. Um, you know we're very excited to hear from their perspective, and in fact, they have an entirely different perspective, even from a spiritual standpoint i think the the ones that we have coming up have a very different spiritual standpoint in fact if not uh, more on the religious side of things which is very exciting to hear their perspective and how they tie in and marry in those philosophies of their of their life uh, from those principles so tune in for our next episode uh, of oak and adam